Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There is a gata that I say when I'm offering incense up at the altar during service. When I put the chip incense on on the charcoal, I say, may the fragrance of the Dharma reach all, reach everyone everywhere. And over the years I've begun saying, May the fragrance of the Dharma free everyone, everywhere. So the incense that we offer uh, goes out to all beings in the ten directions in the six realms, leaving no one out. And this morning as we were doing service and Myoshin was, read, was uh, reading the names of the people who were on the well-being list, uh, this feeling of uh, connection, connection and uh, I think a little bit of grief arose. Because the names on the list are just such a small number in comparison to all the people that are suffering. They're really representatives, even though they probably don't feel like they're representatives. But they're representatives for, for everyone that's suffering. When we first come to practice, most of us, I won't say everyone because I've known a few who weren't suffering. But most of us who come to practice, when we come to practice, are often often suffering to the extent that we realize we can't... uh, Everything that we've done to try and cope with our suffering hasn't been working at that... uh, to that point. And we... It's kind of it's 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 a very sweet and tender moment of surrender to say I need help I cannot do this by myself. So often for for folks when they first come to sit, there's a moment of experience a period of relief like oh oh this feels. So nice to sit and to be still. For others, I think, wow, my knees are really hurting. This is really painful. And who turned up the volume? And sometimes they just it flows back and forth between the two. Usually the mind that we walk in the door with is the mind that we're going to sit down with. doesn't seem to be much the exception. Whether it's the first time we ever sit or if we've been sitting for years, the mind that we walk in the door with is the mind that we're going to sit with. As a friend of mine used to say, uh, playing on a wall near you. 
So over, over a period of time, in the first six months, in the beginning of practice, we're just trying to figure out how to sit without, with as little pain as possible. Because we've, we've taken on this posture of sitting cross-legged on a cushion, which is not how we've typically learned how to sit. So um, my legs are falling asleep, having a lot of pain. This cushion is really hard. It's not high enough. And often, the first, first few months are just this negotiation of learning what it's like to be in this body when we're sitting cross-legged, facing a wall, in the midst of our suffering. And then very slowly, in the beginning, particularly without our being aware of it, the volume slowly begins to turn down. It might have been at 11 before, it might be at 10.9, 10.8.5. But we're not even aware of it. Usually we just, we're thinking, oh, it's still at 11. It's still at 11. And it's usually when someone says to us, wow, you're, something's different. I don't know what it is, but something's, something's different. We often need someone like that. Uh, actually, we usually need someone like that uh, to give us this unintended encouragement. Oh, Okay, so maybe I'm not the best judge of, of what's going on. I think it's at 11, but they say it's a little, it's a little different. So we sit, and something happens right about the six-month mark, where we realize that the volume has turned down maybe all the way down to five. And we feel a feeling of relief. Sometimes we, we may feel discouragement. Oh, because we may not have someone to tell us, oh, it's actually working. So we may feel discouraged. We may begin to lose heart. There's this little window, and I've seen it in Zen centers, no, no matter where I've practiced. Something happens right about that point where attendance begins to drop off, and start and folks start coming. Some folks will start coming less and less. Sometimes it's often around a vacation. They take a vacation been really regular. They, they go and take a vacation and they forget to come back. Or they think, oh, this is this practice has been so helpful. I'm not, uh, I'm not suffering as much. So um, I don't I don't really need to sit anymore. Which is kind of interesting because for some of us that's like stuck. Stopping taking your heart medicine 
because you're feeling better. Uh, which is which happens. It, uh, people actually do it. They, oh, I don't need this anymore. If this particular medicine, I'm feeling so much better now. I don't need it anymore. And we get to this point, uh, and actually we've, we, we've needed it in those six months beforehand, and we always need to nourish and sustain our practice. Or more specifically, to nourish and sustain practice. Often, when we get into these spells of feeling discouragement, or we hit what Norman Fisher calls the dry spell, we often don't recognize it, but this is when things, when the most stuff is happening. This is when things are most active. And we don't really see it. What we experience is being bored or feeling a, a lot of resistance to sitting, whether it's coming and sitting at the Zen Center or sitting at home. No, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not feeling it today. I'm not going to go. And this is actually when things are most active. So it feels like a dry spell, but it's actually soaking wet. The water is getting all the way down into the roots. It's at that times that we are face to face with the unfortunate mythos, American mythos of the rugged individualist that we can do pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, take care of ourselves. And really what we need during this time is the opposite of discouragement. We need active encouragement. Whether it's to encourage ourselves. And if we've been practicing long enough, our body knows what to do. When I lived at Tassahara, I went through a spell where my alarm would go off and I would get up at 3.40 in the morning alarm would go off and I would the first thing would go through my head was I'm not going to the Zendo I'm just going to stay in bed and sleep I would get up, brush my teeth whisk up a bowl of matcha no, no I'm going back to bed the Han has started the instrument that they play to call us to the Zendo. Nope. Going back to bed. The whole while my body's getting dressed. Getting my robes on. It's raining outside. No, it's raining. It's raining. It's going back to bed. All the way up to the Zendo to me taking my seat. was not going to sit zazen that morning. I was going to sign out and go back to bed. My body quite clearly knew what to do. Uh, apparently my mind did not have a say-so. 
and what actually happened. My body showed up for, for Satsang. My body was actually encouraging me, saying, come on, let's go, let's go, I'm going. You can stay here if you want, mind. But I'm going to go sit. It's awesome. For, for quite a while, the practice at, at Tassajara is if you don't show up at, in the zendo and you haven't signed out on the tanking pad, they come and get you. They come and get you say, are you okay? Or make sure you're alive. Yeah, I'm okay. Well, get dressed. <laughs> you can, you can uh, sit in the library until the next period. So I always felt like there was this specter hanging over me. And the, and the tanking job was never a very pleasant job for the people that had to do it, having to go get people who are having a hard time and, and get them to come to the, to the zendo. So for a long time, it's kind of like, well, if I don't go, they're going to come get me. And now, it's, oh, oh, actually, they're, it's, it's encouragement. They're actually saying, let's go, come on, come on. Even though the last thing that we want to do is to sit, to sit. Because some, sometimes, even after the volume has been turned down to five, there are days, no matter how long we've been sitting, where it's up to 11 or 12. Uh, so thankfully, the longer that we sit, the more training that we have in getting ourselves to the, to the cushion to sit, encouraging ourselves to do it. So we, we need a lot of help a lot of times in sitting meditation. What's really helpful to me is I have to unlock the door and open the place up. I have to hold the space for people to come. People are relying on me to show up and hold the space, make sure the air is on or the heat is on, depending on the time of year. The lights are on. Hold the space so that they can. So people are relying on me to be here. Good. If we're the the doan, people are relying on the doan to stay awake and watch the clock during the period, so we don't end up sitting a 50-minute period instead of a half hour. But what we also find is that when we come and sit, because people are relying on us actually realize that we're equally relying on people to come sit with us. They need us to open the space and hold it, and then we need them to support us in our practice. This is how we encourage each other, is by coming and sitting together and being present with each other. Ken Wilber tells the story of when his when his wife was uh, undergoing uh, cancer treatment, they were in Germany. 
flown all the way to Germany as a Hail Mary for some experimental treatment that was it didn't work it didn't work he got the news that it was not going to work he was still in Germany so while his wife was resting and sleeping he went out to a pub a German pub tavern and he was sitting here drinking his beer if I remember correctly he was deep grieving very intense deep grieving and there were a group of very jolly Germans that were having a party and they were singing you know and dancing and they saw him and they said come on come on and he didn't he's, he's basically just saying please just leave me be but they wouldn't leave him be so they, they got him out of his seat and they, they did this line where they were all in a line and they had their arms around each other and they were singing and dancing and he talks about like going experiencing this huge sweat he was like just sobbing one minute laughing hysterically the next uh, complete con complete connection with all these locals that were holding him up. We're holding him up. This is what we do when we sit. We, we come, we actually have our arms. We have this embrace. This embrace looks like this, but it's actually, it's like a hug, right? We're holding on to each other, tending to each other, taking care of each other, encouraging each other. It's a really sweet thing. It's a really tremendous gift to sit next to someone who's grieving deeply. Giving them the space to experience what they're experiencing without having to fix it. Just being completely there. To know that you have your, your comrades in Zazen on either side of you. Tending you and taking care of you. What can be really helpful is to remember, just remember our intention. Remember our intention to wake up when we feel discouraged. Remember our intention to end our suffering. Or at the very least, address it, face it, practice with it, give it a little bit of love, and experience the support of others. Michael Winger once said, whenever you feel discouraged and you're not seeing a lot of change in yourself, look around and look for the change in others. That was one of the best ways to encourage ourselves was to see how others were changing. And the reality is, is is that we actually need these difficulties. Norman Rick made reference to this a couple of weeks ago in his talk. We actually need the difficulties that arise when we're on the cushion. Keeps us sharp, keeps us on point, keeps us remembering why we come and sit. It's not terribly encouraging in the moment to suffer. 
granted. I think I've known anyone who, who enjoys suffering. There may be some. It's not a common, a common occurrence. Somebody once said to Katagiri Roshi, yeah, you're just so calm. And present. And not reactive. And he said, you should have seen me in the years before now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we're always a work in progress. Up to the, mo- up to the moment that we, we die, we're always a work in progress. Whenever we feel discouraged, we're thinking that I have some external idea of myself or others about the way things should be in reality is not matching that. And Kanagiri Roshi also said that practice is something that you do under under all circumstances. Under all circumstances. It's his definition of practice. Because we need the practice. We need the practice of coming and sitting and being present for what's going on, even if we're not suffering a lot, because we're building our awareness muscles, our zazen muscles mindfulness muscles so that so that way whenever suffering some intense suffering does arise we have a few tools in our toolkit we've got a way we know how to be with it it's kind of like if you want to play violin in a concert you don't walk in cold never having played a violin in a concert put in a lot of practice before that happens so we're really building this foundation, this foundation of practice. So all the time, all the time, we're in this line, singing and laughing and crying together. It doesn't look like it. It looks like we're just sitting there facing the wall in our own little world. Chiyama Roshi tells this story from, uh, from the Meiji period about this temple priest who had uh, a garden behind the temple. And he, one night he was, awoke, he was awakened by a ruckus. He got up and he went out back and all the squashes were fighting. They're all arguing with each other. And he says, Hey, you squashes, settle down. They were still kind of grumbling. He said, All right, let's sit, Sazen. Put your fold up your legs this way. But you sit down, pay attention to your breath, and soon they all began to settle down a little bit. And when things got really quiet, the priest said, Okay, everybody reach up and touch the top of your head. And when they did, they felt this vine that was connecting all of them together. 
when the story goes, you're thinking, wow, here we were fighting and we were actually connected, deeply connected all along. I never knew that. We never know what nourishment will look like when we're sitting sasa. Or what, what encouragement will look like in life. A lot of times we not may not realize it until later. It wasn't until much, much later that I was able to see that the tanking coming to get me was actually a form of encouragement. It took years to see that. So we're never the best judge of our experience, even though we're living this experience. We're never the best judge of what's happening, of what's actually happening. So it's really important to give ourselves a little bit of a break. Say, okay, well, maybe so, or maybe not so. This is what seems like hap- is happening right now. This is my response to it, my reaction to it. But in the meantime, I'm just going to keep sitting and see what shakes out. close with a quote the final of Alexandria which is you've heard me quote this many times I'm sure it's one of the best ones out there that I found he said be kind for everyone is fighting a great battle this is the encouragement that we can take into our lives and just remembering to remember this in in our interactions Everyone's doing their best, whether or not it's up to our standards. And again, we're never the best judge. And then above the, uh, on, on, uh, in the back of the church at the Santa Fe Catholic Church, there's a line that says, love one another endlessly. This is how we encourage each other. This is how we take care of each other. This is how we encourage ourselves. Love one another, including ourselves, endlessly. There's no one that's not worthy of it. There's no one that's not worthy of, of encouragement or nourishment. And it may take some very strange forms. It may not look like it. Want someone to come get you when you're trying to go back to sleep. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your practice of holding each other, supporting each other, taking care of each other in innumerable ways. Are there any questions? Comments?